0: Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I talk with movement enthusiasts to learn who they are, what they do, and why they do it. My guest today is Haley Chilvers. Welcome, Haley. How are you this afternoon?
1: Hello, Craig. I'm great. Thank you.
0: My pleasure. Um, as I always say, yeah, this, I got nothing to talk about. Let's hit stop. i um, I'm going to bring people up to speed a little bit. Um, Iceberg principle. I'm hooked on this idea recently, something like a year and a half ago. I forget where I first saw it. But the idea is icebergs, right? Like seven eighths or nine tenths of them are below the water. So the thing that sticks up is like, oh, look how beautiful it is. But there's like this big thing underneath. All right. So iceberg principle, not in the dangerous it's going to sink your ship sense. But iceberg principle and like the, you see this dance, which is apropos of today, see this movement practice that somebody has demonstrated, all this stuff. What you don't see is all this stuff under the water, all the way at the goes in. So iceberg principle. I know that Haley has recently, I'm going to say leapt, shoved, (laughs) might be a better way to put it, but has leapt into uh, entrepreneurship, teaching, coaching uh, virtually. And one of the things that I was thinking about going into this was how I love to take two points and just like smash things together. Haley knows this already, but how has your experience because new iceberg, right? The little bit that people can see the little bit that your clients experience is really backed up by all this work. So thinking about that, how is there anything that's changed the way you look at your own movement or like having to go to that new place and do all that other work has changed your perspective on what you've been doing?
1: Yes, uh such a such an iceberg of a question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, iceberg! Andrea!
0: Sorry, what's that make Titanic jokes? <laughs>
1: um gosh, yeah, there's there's so many. Um I mean, so I was obviously pre-COVID working um mostly as a dancer. I was doing a little bit of training, it was all in person. Um, when COVID happened obviously theatres just kind of stopped dead in their tracks and it was it was a really scary time to kind of figure out what I was going to do from that point and um, people obviously weren't up for training in person at that point point. Um, and so everyone as we all know sort of jumped online and it became um, suddenly a huge thing which nobody was doing before you know the idea of doing any sort of Movement or especially personal yeah. training session online just seemed why crazy yeah <laughs> exactly. I mean,
0: unless you're really far from a bunch of people, but like yeah, why wouldn't you just serve the people closest to you?
1: Absolutely, and um, so you know, it's lots of new learning just in that actually. In terms of, um, I didn't really start off with this idea to kind of develop it into some online coaching platform. I guess it was just about survival and adapting at that point mm. um, so i jumped online with clients and learned a whole bunch about how you actually coach um through camera <laughs> because obviously that's <laughs> a completely different skill set in itself yeah um, but yeah, then more than that, my partner, um, he's a filmmaker as well. And so obviously his industry was completely sort of flawed. And so we sort of came together. He's got lots of great creative camera skills. And we kind of teamed up to make some fun video content for clients and also just start to build a bit of an online coaching platform. And um, the learning, <laughs> let's just say its it still hasn't stopped, but it's its just endless Um I think one of my biggest learnings was in how to communicate verbally. Um, As a dancer, obviously, everything you do is with the body. Even when you're in the room, when you're coming up with ideas, they are physical ideas that you're sharing. You might Mm -hmm. obviously verbalize some things, but mostly you're showing and demonstrating that way. And if you're in a group with professionals, you don't need to say much because they just pick up so much visually anyway. (laughs) Right, they (laughs) read your body language, right? (laughs) If, um and so yeah using my voice for the first time on camera um for a start is just a whole new thing like talking to a camera felt like the most unnatural thing in the world to me even though i'm used to being on stage you're often obviously you're playing a different character you're not mm. s- uh, sitting there as yourself sort of sharing your innermost thoughts or feelings about things or you know just explaining something like very thoroughly Um, without moving whilst you do it so um, we had a lot of fun doing that because Chris would just look at me and I'd just be like sort of all (laughs) flittering about and like no can we go again and he's like you need to just calm down breathe and so that was there was big learning just in that alone to be honest and one of the biggest things it brought up was the confidence I had in my voice wasn't quite as maybe strong as I thought it was. It was interesting. I've never felt unconfident. And I think partly that's because physicality that I've always had in my life has always given me a real sense of self and um, a confidence in moving through the world um, exactly as I am. But there was something about really having to focus on communicating for the first time um, that was just so new and so vulnerable and brought out a lot for me in terms of going, okay, this is – an area that you really need to work on if you're going to sort of grow any sort of business really moving forward. So that, yeah, that's one, one tip. Of, that's one nugget. One nugget.
0: <laughs> uh, do you have a second nugget or do you want any one of nine questions I have?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let me maybe give you one more thing. The, I guess the other learning, the biggest thing that came from it or the thing that maybe people wouldn't know or wouldn't have seen really was just the also having to dig deep and figure out the why why you do what you do and especially when you come to sharing it as I was obviously looking to do in coaching I'd always been training people but trying to ask yourself okay from a business perspective like who do I want to be what message do I want to share with the people that I'm training that was really interesting because you don't always ask yourself those questions. I think for me, movement has always been so um, you know instinctual it's It's just been something that I've always done, and I've not necessarily asked myself why too deeply. I think I've just always mm. felt the why was obvious. Yeah,
0: um or maybe not obvious the why i was gonna say the why is ingrained or the why yeah. is in, yeah like you, i can picture you going how would you not what do you mean, you mean of course i have to <laughs> yeah. do that there's a word for that but it escapes me because yeah
1: goodness. yeah i think it's exactly that um it, it's just so ingrained that i hadn't stopped to think about it so actually it was really nice to be able to do that and i learned a lot about <clears throat> what i want to say um as a as a mover as a teacher as a coach um, hmm. Yeah
0: people listen to the show are like, okay, what's Craig going to say? Cause I have like nine, nine hundred <laughs> things I want to say. Um, and what I'm going to say is I think a lot and practice and read and work like a big thing that I work on a lot is talking is slow. So yeah. your one's my yours, everybody's ability to think about things vastly outpaces your ability to speak words. So I'm not advocating for speaking more quickly, but I find the more that I like work in something, for example, podcasting, where I'm forced, all right, you only get 12 words, 7,000 thoughts, you only get 12 words. That really helped me clarify my thinking. So uh, Kurt Vonnegut, I think it was said, if you can't write well... You don't think as well as you think you do or something like, like basically your thinking shows up in your writing. Mm-hmm. And now I'm wondering about when you are dancing or moving or even directing movement, which I know you've also done, um, do you find that you, so let's call that thing I described thoughts outpacing ability to communicate. Mm-hmm. Do you find that your thoughts outpace your ability first as a dancer to, um, emotes the wrong word. Uh, do you find that your thoughts outrace your ability to physically perform things or do you find that somehow the moving is at the same speed as your thinking? That's like my first question. And then the corollary is, and what about when you're directing? It probably is a problem when you're directing because you got too much to say, but I um, mm. was thinking about you're describing, you're learning to use your voice in the figurative sense. It's like, yeah, it's be- a lot of the problem is jamming thinking down into words. Mm. And I'm wondering if there's a similar parallel. In movement
1: yeah yeah great question um yeah not something i've ever been asked or thought about actually so that's really interesting to kind of um process that question i think Definitely, I can say safely for the directing. Yes, my thoughts are totally outpaced. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I'm picturing the derp meme.
1: (laughs) which happens to me
0: all the time.
1: Oh, I'm stuck. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, I think also you're juggling so many elements there when you're dire- you know, you're know, directing a whole room and there's often a lot of varied abilities in front of you. Even mm. if I'm working with professionals, I tend to work when I do movement directing, I'm not actually working with dancers, I work with actors. Um, so it's a different language that I have to use with them anyway, for them Yikes. to really understand mm. what I'm saying. Um, and it's also, it's a slightly different process. So not one that I would naturally do again in the room with dancers or as a dancer myself. Um, and then obviously you've got many ideas that you could try so they're all sort of <laughs> surging through your head so certainly when I'm um, movement directing yeah totally outpaced um, in terms of thoughts to to words but when I'm dancing probably not actually I think they feel in tune with one another I think especially when improvising um, because often that really is, for me anyway, my personal relationship to improvisation. I only really connect emotionally um, Mm. with improv tasks. I think even if I'm given something quite abstract, I like to find something emotive in there um, because that's just how I connect to movement the most in a dance from a dance point of view. Um, So they always feel kind of together in that
0: Mm. sense. Quick question. I think you just said improv toffs. I'm not is, or I either misheard you or is that an inside lingo thing? Oh
1: no, I think you may have misheard me. <laughs> oh, you
0: said you you. Then no, no, ignore me.
1: <laughs> I might have said improv tasks. Maybe.
0: Oh tasks. I'm sorry. That's me mishearing. <laughs> no, that's my right. that that's my accent problem. Sorry, that's me. Everybody has an accent, Craig. Um, uh, first of all, I'm glad to hear you say that the I'm gonna say that that thinking and dancing are are synergistic or more well matched. I'm glad to yeah. hear you say that. Good. Um and then the course the next question that I have is, ooh, let's think a little bit, let's talk a little bit about why that might be. And the first thing that I think of is well, especially in this show, I wind up talking about embodied practice a lot. And it comes up all the time with all the people that I want to talk to on microphone and off. And we all, the people who are in team embodied learning, mm-hmm. we're all like, yes, embodied learning. And I, I think what we're, what we're both pointing at here is the thinking that we do when we're moving. What are we thinking with? What well, we're thinking with our entire nervous mm-hmm. system, which is mostly hanging out of the brain, right? It's all this yeah. other stuff. So. I want to say, I'm not sure this is right, but how could I have a thought using that system that was it was at any other speed than the one that I'm moving at? Because the moving is part of the thinking. Yeah, And I think that's at the heart of why um, it just occurred to me that, wow, did I just connect this back to something we didn't even talk about yet? <laughs>
1: but
0: is that at the heart of what people are missing when... Those of us all in the movement space, we say like, oh, if we could just figure out how to get people to make the switch to seeing movement as as an inherent thing, as opposed to like, oh, I can't. People don't, I believe people don't sit around and go, I can't do that. It just never occurs to them. And I think it's this, they're used to thinking. Maybe the problem is they've learned to think uh cerebrally or they like i'm i'm making a gesture like thinking with the top two thirds of my skull as opposed to thinking with the whole body yeah don't laugh at me that's not nice just, <laughs> i know it's fine um but if that makes any sense i think that might tease apart some of why everybody loves to talk about because it's true about embodiment in yeah. thinking and moving
1: oh totally i think it's uh yeah you've really hit the nail on the head there really i think um for those of us that you know do find that our practice is just um they're one and the same like your your thought is with your body and therefore it makes for this really um connected experience and embodied experience i think there's there's nothing like that you know you're in, you go into the the fl- what you know we refer to as flow state right and i mm-hmm. find that if you once you can get anyone to that point they're they're obviously going to enjoy what they're doing i think that from a dance perspective even within our industry where you would think that it always has to be connected that way that there is often training that is quite um the training is disconnected if you're doing a lot of improvisation or you're doing a lot of creative task based things when you're younger you will definitely i think be brave enough to hold on to okay yeah I'm gonna move like this because I feel like this and there's mm-hmm. you hold on to that freedom and that that sense of play within it um but there is a lot of training out there and it's not necessarily a bad thing because I also did a lot of this style of training you need it for your technical stuff but I've, when I've taught kids you can see the ones that have just had very regimented um you do this and then you do that. And then, mm. and then, you know, I've gotten to a stage where I've then been in a room with 12 year olds who have never really done improvisation. You ask them to improvise and it's absolutely terrifying for them. <laughs> right? Because,
0: yeah. I don't mean to laugh. I'm not laughing at them. I'm laughing no, at them. I no, had that experience. Right.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, it's definitely something we all have the ability to be connected. I think it's just, it's very easy to, as we all know, as you, get into becoming an adult you, you stop thinking in that way unless you're practicing it and I think it's just about yeah. finding ways in right to kind of keep things playful and um, keep your brain um, open to the idea of oh well, I can do anything with my body or um, move however I like and that can be a completely freeing experience
0: Awesome um this is kind of like playing tennis um and i've been serving anything that's top of mind for you you're like oh i got an idea
1: well i guess i was just thinking then um obviously you you mentioned you asked the question about uh talking and pace and i'm just wondering for you now um as a mover as well, I'm guessing your experience. I'm just interested to know your experience with that kind of thing and in, in the flip side. So when it comes to, to movement, do you often feel as well that, that there isn't, um, yeah, that they're totally in sync in that way.
0: I, I think it's rare that I feel that they're in sync and I think I've learned now this is like Craig going, did I just figure this out today? But I think I learned to recognize that feeling as like, nah, it's not right. And I think I've, there are times when I go out and I move. Um, I'm trying to decide whether to all anecdotes. Let's skip the anecdotes. Go out and move, and the two things are in um, coherence or the two things are symbiotic the thinking and the moving. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I think far too often, any time would be too often, but way too often, I'm sort of like horse and carriage, like I'm the driver of the carriage and I'm like making the horses do what I want. And a lot of times I'm moving that way. And that, I think that comes from two parts. That comes from overthinking, like, what should I be doing? Um, What should I be doing right now? What's the best, um, what's the minimum viable dosage for this activity to get some benefit as opposed to like simply doing, simply being moving. So yeah, I would say I've had them be in sync enough to have, to like understand that that could be a thing, but it's yeah. not the normal, eh, maybe I should say it's 60% of the time, but not mm. quite normal enough that okay. I feel like I'm simply being somebody who is moving.
1: Yeah. 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 And what about when you're, cause obviously you're, um, a bit of a, uh, pro podcaster at this point, or, <laughs> you know, done, done many podcasts. Yeah. Have you found that you, there's, um, you've got um, more of a synergy with your thoughts when you're talking or podcasting?
0: Ooh, good question. Um, I have found coping mechanisms. (laughs) 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 So some of the coping mechanisms involve figuring out the things, uh, so I do review my work and and I'm very analytic about what are other people doing? And like, there's, there is what I call the reading. It's, It's not reading. It's mostly listening, but, I have done the reading. So I know what people are doing in the industry. Yeah. So I look at things that I do and I go, Oh God, that's got to stop. And then I work on that because if I'm stuck on a verbal tick or I'm stuck on crappy questions or whatever, that's in the way. So the first step is you got to get most of that stuff out of the way so that you can actually be thinking about the conversation. In the beginning hundreds, I was thinking about doing the thing so i wind up it'd be like thinking about oh i think i'm thinking about dancing as opposed to well that's totally wrong (laughs) so stop thinking about podcasting craig and i i got to a point where i could start thinking about the conversations i was having then i could begin to unpack what you were pointing to or asking about i could begin Mm -hmm. to unpack what do i do with a rising sense of panic around having 19 questions pausing and feeling like I should be saying something like then I was able to begin working on what you're pointing at. And, and I would say my answer is I'm not quite all the way there, but I feel like I've really gotten the hang of just being in the moment and mm-hmm. talking with the person or people on the other figurative on the other side. Um, it is very difficult to convey that to people that I talk to or that I work with about podcasting. Like how do you, okay, Greg, now teach that or share that. And it's not easy. Um, but I, I love it because it's like, yeah, it's like trying to teach movement. You know, it's like, oh, all right, you're, you, you have a musculature weakness. We we really do need to lift some weights or whatever the, whatever the medicine is for that yeah. squats or whatever. Um, there are certain things that are, these are the ABCs of the craft, whatever craft you want to talk about.
1: Um, yeah. That, Actually, something that came up for me when you were talking about that was um, just connecting that to something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, which is. Um, And you mentioned kind of um, finding, you know, the kind of, I guess, do's or don'ts or the things that are really helpful in podcasting, the things that aren't. But the question that's been popping up for me um, is how much of that also do you tap into versus how much do you trust in your own version of something? Because when I was doing a lot of the um, business development, I actually um, had a coach for a little bit in terms of just helping to sort of build a brand or understand what sort of um, business I wanted to make really or build. And um, it was really interesting. I didn't really connect hugely with the coach coaching um, method because it was very prescriptive. It was very do this, do that. This is how you run a successful business. And I felt like so much of the heart of me wasn't in there at all. And I actually walked away from it completely because I just thought, I'm not really, this isn't authentic. Mm, Like you're selling
0: your soul. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Yes, this isn't authentic. And I ultimately, I don't think anyone, you can't build something. I think sustainably off something that isn't authentic. I think it needs to be, uh, an extension of yourself, especially if it's you that you're essentially selling it's, it's your sort of craft or your skill um so that's something that i find really interesting like the balance between what actually is good practice and what actually then is just uniquely you and and should you keep because some of those quirks that someone might tell you oh maybe you shouldn't um pause at the end of uh, a question yeah, or do something different ways weird of using language just, or yeah you know what i mean
0: yeah. yep um oh there's like so many things there uh I I will say, uh, and what I'm about to say, you know, I intend to apply to both podcasting and movement and coaching online, which I haven't done. Well, I actually have done a lot of coaching online. Now that I think about it, sorry, applies to everything. There are two different ways to look at it, and both are valid. One simply has to choose. So one way is what I call the artist in the workshop. You're just like you go to the workshop, you close the door, you put on your painting smock, and you start painting, right? And you just, and then. I don't want to be more it, but when you die, you're going to have a whole building full of paintings and people are going to go, holy Toledo, either this person sucked or they were awesome. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's super important if what one wants to do is to simply be creative. So as I'm sure you know, you can just go dance, play music and dance mm-hmm. by yourself forever. That's totally valid. It's a useful use of a human life. Um, so that, I, I call that art for art's sake. Just go be creative. It can be yeah. podcasting or movement. Um, it is going to necessarily be in conflict with the other path one can choose, which is I like to talk about trading with other people. Cause I don't really like to talk about money. Like you pay me, I pay you. It's like, I made a thing. I traded it with you. The definition of trade willing trade is we're both better off. I think I made out better and you. That's like, that's what we want. If you're going to do that, you necessarily have to change your perspective from Um, first person to at least some portion of second person. So in the first one, I'm in the artist doing the painting. It's all about me. And there's nothing wrong with that. And people are really good at that. We're inherently good at being selfish. That's fine. But the second part is tough because you're going to have to say, I have to give us some amount of selfishness. I mean, you can zoom out and say, yeah, I'm being selfish. I want my work to be traded with others and valued. That's me being maximally selfish. Yeah, but in the nuts and bolts, you have to give up some selfishness to think about those other people. So that, that makes attention. tension. What do I want to do with podcasts? I'm only pressing record incidentally. I really just want to have cool conversations with people. And this is an excuse to get people who don't know me to show up and talk to me for an hour. <laughs> it yeah, works. Yeah, yeah. It's like magic. Um, but I also would like to make this be my primary source of income and i'd like to get paid to do i don't want to get paid to do this but work that's based on this kind of stuff and to do that i have to be what does the industry look like should i be in a unit there's all nuts and boltsy stuff so i think those two things are and and again in any context those two things like the self-directed i based and the other directed which is really about what i'm saying here is really about your why Mm. um And people can come at it from different ways. You could become a really great painter, but don't get grumpy and indignant if you don't get discovered. You could paint all the way to the end of your days and don't expect anything from it. Um, But if what happens to me is I can't do that. I love to do that, but I also want to put things out in the world. I want people to trade with them. I want, um, like, this is crazy, but like my greatest joy is I have gone places, like in movement spaces, And introduced, you know, people walk up to me and say, hi. And I I just have a habit of saying, hello, I'm Craig Constantine. And people go, oh, that Craig. And that is just like, what, somebody who knows my work? And then I immediately say, what's your favorite episode? Because that feedback is so rare. Um, So those two things, the I directed and the other directed, are always going to be, you're going to have to choose. You're going to have to make the balance be intentional. And I personally think the way to do it is to do the other directed first, if you really want to be it in the long run. What is everybody else doing? What are the rules of the game? not why the rules are that was just like we do it like this good learn to do it that way and then you can break all the rules you want with your own personal that's just my opinion
1: it's a great way of looking at it actually as well because i've had this as you said it applies to everything really and there's always um a kind of debate within the dance scene of like how much work do you make do you make work for yourself or do you make it um, to please an audience and i've always thought (laughs) yes if you're making it yeah if you're making it for an audience then you should be you know you have some responsibility for their yeah. uh <laughs> experience their experience yeah. <laughs> you know um so I, I find that interesting but it's it's a great way that you put that actually and definitely going to steal that for the next time I'm having that uh, oh I, I didn't make that up <laughs> that's my distillation
0: from various people that I've yeah, yeah, yeah. taken courses from and had coaching from and stuff um and it, it, it also varies uh, for me. I tend to be like a megalomaniac. So for me, the, okay, don't be out in the yard doing your own thing. Like what do other people, mm. you know, what, what's a problem that you can try and solve or um, everybody's own personality is going to maybe help them decide what's your strong suit, the I stuff or the you stuff. What's your strong suit? Go the other way. That's mm. the hard way. Go the other way first. Yeah. Yeah good job. So when you start in your podcast, that's a a really good question that didn't have a question mark, didn't lilt up at the end. That's exactly how you do it. You hold up, Hey, I have this thing. You hold it up figuratively, hold up the idea, and then you just hold it there until the other person is bursting to talk and then you stop talking. That's how you do this.
1: Nice. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It is interesting. I find the whole podcasting well, you know, it's, it's a conversation, isn't it? But it's, it's yeah. not it's not a conversation like we'd have if we just had a cup of tea in a room because we know oh. we're being recorded, right? <laughs> I, di- <laughs>
0: I disagree. If, uh, maybe for you, but uh do a few of these. I This is exactly what conversations with me are like in real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mu- I move around more. I don't stand directly in one spot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but other than some physical restrictions, I think what makes when you listen to a show, when anybody listens to a show and goes, oh, that was great it's when you feel like you were just lurking the expletive out of two people having a conversation. Like that's what you want. Um, Totally. I
1: get, and I get that that is the purpose and I can see that when it's good podcasting, that is exactly what you get. I guess what I mean by that comment is more, there's obviously as the host, you'll get more experienced at um making that the case especially or making someone else comfortable enough for that to be the case right um which but also i think there's got to be from the other person's point of view as well they probably don't podcast a lot so i wonder what that journey is i know certainly for me i'm more nervous than i would be it definitely feels like a conversation i would have with you but i am obviously aware that i'm being recorded because i don't podcast all the time right so i guess that that's where I'm going with that is in terms of maybe more so from a guest perspective rather than a host, but um, it's
0: a good, like, like you were talking before about, uh, we were, well, you brought it up. I me. Mean, it doesn't matter where it comes from, but the idea of what did you learn from becoming an entrepreneur online? Um, Being a guest, I tell people all the time if somebody ever asks you, especially if it's me, if somebody ever asks you to be on a podcast, please say yes. It's the greatest thing you'll ever do because it forces you into this new space. And you get, I know this isn't your first rodeo on this, but it gives you this new, like, wow, I never did that before. And that really wigged me out. Why did that wig me out? Like, new experiences are precious and rare. Um, So, doing a podcast with, with someone, whether or not the host is any good, like, just, oh, I, yeah having a time constraint really like out of the corner of my eye, I watch the clock tick the whole way through the show. Mm-hmm. I know where we are and where I want to go. And, yeah. um, just doing that, even as a guest, knowing this thing has a limited, you yeah. know, there's a limited space and, um, yeah. Um, cool. There's my my things I could say. Um, I think I will just say, <clears throat> and of course the final question, three words to describe your practice.
1: Okay. So I've thought long and hard about this one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's become a thing, I know. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> three words are hard, but I actually think sometimes mm. it is better to limit keep the restriction that's been <laughs> placed on you. The, now you see the dancer in me coming out because mm-hmm. when you're given a task, they're usually restrictive for a reason because they make hopefully what you come up with more interesting. Um so the three words for me I think that sum up how I feel about movement. Um, would be freedom, growth, and connection.
0: Cool, cool, cool. Craig scribbles frantically. Um, Those are really good words. I say that all the time because it never ceases to amaze me. I had a guest, episode two, I think it was, say to me, two words is a... I don't know dichotomy or thing, but three words gets complicated when you start talking about. Mm, it and, and I've like this before. Yeah, the three points, um, and I stole the idea for three words to describe your practice from somebody else. There's a whole other episode about that. Anyway, um, terrific! I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was everything I knew it would be. Thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Thank you so much, Craig, for your time. It's been a great experience.